0: it's good to see everybody i had somebody ask me so you sure do drink a lot of water up there well since my tongue cancer i don't produce moisture too well and that's why i do that so justin got me two bottles cause this is a 2 bottle sermon today so i want to thank you all so much for being here it's good to see you and i want to be honest with you if you have your and you look at the back discard disregard it and turn it back over to the front This past Wednesday, I spoke on what is the church. And I cannot get away from the fact that what I said Wednesday, God wants me to say today. You see, I honestly believe with all my life in everything that's the aspect of my being, that as time progresses and things change and we adapt more to the culture, we have turned the gospel of Jesus... And we've turned the church into six flags over Jesus. And I'm highly concerned for the very fact of this. We must teach the Word of God correctly. I am a flawed man, but I serve an unflawed Christ, and I believe His Word is true. And when you look at the Word of God, and you look at what He says about the church and the Christian life, I cannot think of a better passage to go to this morning, like I did Wednesday, than Hebrews chapter 10. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, I think I give Amanda enough time. you got to understand, they go through a lot of time to prepare for all this, and a lot of times I throw curveballs. And I say, oh, by the way, you know, here it is. And, and, and we got to give them credit, because they weren't prepared for this, and this morning I threw it on them. But I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin in verse 32 and back up. And there's a reason for this, okay? Because I want you to understand that you've got to take into context of what's going on here. And we've talked about this that here is a group of believers that are Jewish believers that have those that are telling them to come back to their sacrificial system ways. You have also surrounded by Gentiles, and you have people that just hate Jesus. And there's people in the ear saying, look, you, you, you Go back. Man, he isn't who he says he is. But I want you to understand that as a church, we have no clue what persecution means. The greatest thing that we'll get is somebody make fun of us or somebody give us hand gestures or say things, and yes, things are getting worse, and I believe that they're going to be worse. We haven't seen nothing yet. But I want you to go back 2,000 years with me to this Hebrew church. Take into consideration Rome is in control. A pagan group of people with a pagan Caesar who thinks he's God. And you have a group of believers that are in the midst of this that are holding fast with people in the ear and oppression around them. Do you understand that us living in the United States with freedom to worship are under a greater accountability than they were? We boast of some of the greatest seminaries, the greatest opportunity to serve for the freedom that men died to give us, and yet we laugh in the face of God. And church has become something out of convenience and something that we do instead of something of what we are. We have built our cathedrals to Jesus, and forgotten that He, by saving us, we're the people that is the church, not this building. When I become a Christian, or when I, I'm sorry, when I was a child, y'all have all done this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. I open the door and see all the people. That's wrong, people. This is a building. Some have steeples but by the grace of God through His Son Jesus Christ, the church, or the people. Stand with me as we begin. Reading in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And I'm going to read to verse 39. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 32 says this, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly, look, partly by being made a public spectacle through insults and distress and partly by becoming companions with those who so were treated for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property who well, had to preach knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith of the safekeeping of the soul. Amen and amen. You may sit down. Remember when... You were first enlightened that they had come to their saving grace through Jesus Christ. That not only were they on fire for God, they knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was the greatest possession. There are so many things today we hold to possessions. I promise you that what you own, somebody else will own when you die. But Rick, I want you to listen to this. Not only were they insulted, they were persecuted, they were seized, of their, or their property was seized, they joyfully accepted it because their priority was in Christ. Now this is very important that I bring this out to you because I want you to understand that the antidote, if you will, for this type of surrounding is found in Scripture. How do we handle the confiscation of our property? How do we handle the persecution of us? How do we handle the ridicule of friends and the false betrayal of friends and family? How do we handle these things? Because I can assure you as time goes on, listen to me, things will get tougher. But I want you to understand... And I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times my phone blows up because of what happens in the news. Do not fear China. Do not fear Iran. Do not fear Iraq. Do not fear these other countries. Do not fear your politicians. Because God says in Daniel, I am the one that establishes kings and kingdoms. He is still on the throne. And I want you to understand that as we get to this, the writer of Hebrews tells us a little earlier how to handle such things. Now, I want you to listen. In Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to go back to verse 19. Now, listen. We have it on the screen. All right. Now, look. Therefore, brethren, therefore, Remember, I told you, if you see a there or a for, we need to find out what it's there for. Therefore, brethren, after he's been talking about, remember, backing up, one through chapter, and I know we hadn't gone through nine and t- ten yet, but listen to me. Christ is superior to all things, right? He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the angels. He is the great high priest, correct? Through, though he is, a gra- and he is a great high priest, the priest that we need, a true high priest, there's also a better covenant, Okay? And and keep that in mind as we get to this point here. He says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. I ought to stop there, but I'm not. But let me tell you something. Jesus is the great high priest. I don't need no mediator. I got my Savior, Jesus Christ. Ain't no man can mediate. Jesus Christ is my mediator. Amen? Amen? Look what he says. By a new and living way which he inaugurated us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me tell you, this is a beautiful illustration of the sacrificial system. Okay? Let me tell you what he's saying. It's no longer the blood of animals. And it's no longer a covering of sin. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he removes it. And then we have access to the throne directly. Amen? Now listen what he says. Number one, and you write this down. You've got to stand up. Let us hold unswervingly to the confession of our faith. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What do you believe? Do you believe Christ is who He says He is? Your faith is the core, the whole aspect of your being. I want you to understand what faith is. There was a missionary named John Paxton who was trying to translate the Bible into the uh, South Sea Islanders language. And he ran across a problem with the word faith. He could not figure out a word for it because it didn't translate over. So he's struggling with this. Then all of a sudden, one of the native people run into the hut that he was translating and sits down and goes, "Whoo! I'm glad this chair supports my weight. He said, I got it. That faith is putting your whole weight on God. For it's the substance of things hoped for in the evidence of things unseen. That is faith. That is your core. That you have put everything that you have on God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? It's amazing that if you really look at this, if you love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and might, you are resting Him with all aspect of your being you truly believe? You see, I want you to understand there's always these little things that make our faith waver. I'm going to tell you about a true born again believer. Satan may attack it, but Jesus Christ will sustain it. Because you may get off on that path, but you will get back on it by the Spirit. Let me tell you something. Your faith is what you are. You tell, I often tell people this. Listen to me. What speaks a lot about your faith is how you handle circumstances. you ever thought about this? Now, sometimes this gets me in a little trouble, but I'm going to go there with you because I want you to understand. One of the greatest people I ever knew was this little old lady that I taught her Sunday school many years ago at Sanctuary Church. She was dying in bed. She had jaundice and was wrapped up with little turbans and things because she was cold. And as I began to go in there and pray and talk with her, she kept raising her hand. But God is good. But God is good. And three days later, she stepped into the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what faith is. No matter what this world throws at us, it's knowing that God will sustain us. And we greet Him joyfully in the presence of it. Do you believe that? Or is it the little things that set us off? You know, I got to thinking about something. You didn't get a newsletter this week. And I want to tell you a little secret my sewer backed up. Now bear with me. Now we can get upset about this. You can get upset about it. I got four people in my house. But not only that, a water main busted and we lost water. Now I got two choices that I can make. A, I can get upset about it. Or B, now this is simple. God give me something in my heart. That water that you need is water that you will continuously need. But Jesus Christ gives us living water that we will never thirst again. Everything on this earth, people, everything that we face, everything that we do will give us problems and issues. We will face trouble but you hold unswervely to that faith that you possess because he that promised is faithful. It's just like the story of the little boy. Listen to me. Whose daddy said, I want you to stand here and I want you to look at this window and this dime store and I'll be back in 30 minutes. He said, I got to run an errand. So he goes down in his car to this other place while all of a sudden his car breaks down and the dad begins to panic and he was not able to make it back to the child for five hours. The dad finally makes it back, don't know where the son's going to be, and he finds the little boy sitting there looking at the same window, walking back and forth on his. The dad grabs his son, he embraces him deeply. And he says, "Son, were you not worried that I wasn't coming back?" He said, "No, sir," because you said you would." That's faith. We hold unswervingly to the faith that we possess because Christ, who promised, is faithful. And people, we got to stand up and believe that. Do others see that we are strong in our faith? Understand this, that the world is watching us, and how we react shows a lot about what we believe. If you panic over every situation, is the lost world going to see that you truly believe God is who He says He is? And I'm talking about problems in the world. I'm not talking about persecution, people. We need to take it in context of what's going on here. They are being persecuted. They are being threatened. They are being oppressed. Have you ever thought about this? To know that the Romans hated them so bad. Listen, we will all go to home today. Some will go out to eat. Some will go to your mom. Some will go to your dad. Some will go to your friends or children. Some of you may go to the park. Some of you may have a cookout. Some of you may go home and watch television. But the threat of persecution, I guarantee you, is least on any of you's mind. And yet, he tells them who had to deal with this daily and hourly to hold unswervely to the faith that you possess because he that promised is faithful. I can promise you... This world will give you trouble. And as the church, the core foundation of what we are is our faith. Is our faith in Christ. I want you to understand, too, that one of the biggest issues that we have is we get distracted. How many of you get distracted? It's very easy to get distracted. See, Satan loves distraction. Because if he can plant that seed of doubt, then you begin to waver. Then you begin to struggle. But I'm encouraging you all today, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, you may not be going through a thing. But I promise you, like I always say, just like the Hebrew boys before the furnace, you're either headed toward a furnace, you're in a furnace, or you're coming out of one. But I guarantee you're going to be one of the three. Hold unswervingly to the faith that you possess because He that promised is faithful. You love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which means you trust in Him in all aspects of your being, and you are putting all of your weight on Him. Stand up. Number two, listen to me. We got a man up. I want you to listen to me on this. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. The word there in the Greek is paroptimus. It has two meanings. This is very important. Number one, it is used to entice encourage. But it also has the meaning to jab. You see, some of your translations may say, let us consider how we may spur one another. Now, some of y'all in here are cowboy people. Cowgirls. Y'all like horses. What do you do with a spur on your heel? You kick the side of the ribs of the horse to get him to go. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. What the church is is to understanding we as born-again believers are to encourage one another. We're to have intimacy and accountability. Intimacy and accountability. What do you mean in this intimacy? That we grow with one another, get to know one another. How can we pray for one another? How can we encourage one another? How can we teach one another? How can we help one another grow closer to Christ? That is the purpose of growing together, people. That we learn and we grow together seeking God's Word. But sometimes, listen, we gotta be jabbed in the side. Takes a little encouragement. Oh, y'all know, I think it couldn't be a greater illustration to use at this time. Carl Weathers just passed away. He was known as Apollo Creed in the book, in the movie Rocky. Now, I don't know if you ever saw the first Rocky, his Academy Award winner in 1976, but Rocky had a trainer named Mickey. Remember, he had the little hat on, little gruff guy. But one thing about Mickey that amazed me, he told Rocky, he said, when you feel like you hurt and you're going down and you can't go no more, Mickey would be there going, get up! Just one more round. That's what we're to do, people. We need that encouragement. Sometimes it may come as a gentle prayer, but sometimes it comes as a nudge. Let me tell you a story. I wasn't going to say chair. Sure. I told my wife I wasn't going to do it, but at this point, it don't matter. But let me tell you something. <laughs> I'll never forget. We had this young man. This was a part of a church when, when I was an associate pastor several years, many years ago, back in the early two thousands, and, and he, he had problems, and he struggled with alcohol. And he didn't show up for church. I told the other pastor with me, Have you seen him? No, I hadn't seen him. Have you seen him? I hadn't seen him. Then a person came up and got us. Said, so We know where he is. Where is he at? He's down at the park. And I'll tell you the park it was. It's in Greenville. I can't remember the name of it. But they got little tanks and airplanes and stuff there. I don't remember which one it was. Is it Cleveland? I don't know. But anyway, that's where he was. So we went to go get him. We find him sitting on a park bench beside this Sherman tank thing. Say, hey bud, what's going on? I just don't feel good. I'm depressed, I'm down. God don't love me. And he's going through all this. The pastor with me, dear friend of mine, a brother, contrary to what people think, when you're feeling this way, is when you need to be in front of God's people. Come on. He said, I I don't think I can. Come on. I don't want to. I said, you get up from there. Come on. And I grabbed him by the belt buckle and I drug him. Now, I want you to listen to me. You may disagree with that. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes people, I want you to listen to me. That's exactly what you need. And that's what I need. There's somebody to say, Come on, let's go. You see, the thing about being the body of Christ and spurning one another on is this listen to me really good. We're to pray for one another, pray for one another, and not focus on the faults. Of one another. Listen to me. The Bible tells me in the book of James, Jesus' half-brother this. Confess your sins one to another. He did not say confess their sins to another. One of the biggest problems today that we find is people spend more time talking about people than they do praying for them. And let me tell you something, everybody in here, listen real clearly. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. There's mercy at the cross. And we're to lift you up and share the good news of Jesus Christ and to hold you accountable lovingly, not to ostracize you or make fun of you. That is one thing that gets me more than anything. I used to work with a guy that says, I'm going to tell you something, but i tell you something. Don't tell anybody, but if you do tell them, tell them not to tell somebody. <laughs> he did it as a joke. Because we all know that no matter where you go, there's always those people, if they tied their hands and lips, they beat themselves to death. We're to pray for one another, not ridicule and tear one another down. Because I want you to understand that there's nobody in here perfect. But that's part of the intimacy and accountability that we teach and grow one another and hold one another accountable that we grow closer to Jesus Christ. Amen. But how do we also we spur one another? We study God's word together. Listen. One of the things that we try to do is try to make disciples. I'm not perfect. None of us are. God's word is And as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, if you want to grow in Christ, you'll want to study His Word. That's what we meet here for. I encourage you to get in God's Word. I've had so many people, I'll be careful with this, and I'm going to say it anyway. I have so many people tell me before, I just want to feel God. Then get in His Word. You're looking for an emotional experience that will never be satisfied. So you'll always try to seek that high again. That's why people go to different places trying to seek that spiritual high. Let me tell you something. I want you to listen to me very carefully. We're to bury our nose into Jesus' Word every day. How do we grow and hold one another accountable and spur one another on if we're not involved in God's Word? Listen. I'm not trying to be cute or overly funny. But we got to get in the habit, not just us and there's nothing going on before you run out the doors and say something. But we got to get in the habit of encouraging one another in the Lord. We got to get in that habit and not turn one another down. You see, I was sharing the thing that gets me more than anything is that oftentimes we look at people to set our perfect standard. We need to be looking to Christ. You see, I will let you down. We need one another. I think it's very interesting that Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Solomon wrote that. You see, the very purpose of us spurring one another on is God meant for us to be family. He meant for us to work together you think about this have you ever considered the grasshopper now the grasshopper by himself is not too intimidating of a creature but if you put a swarm of them together they will devour any vegetation in their path the locusts have no king yet they all advance in the ranks Proverbs 30 27 you see the very purpose of this people Not only do we hold on swervingly to our faith, we got to surround ourselves with those who will encourage us and build us up in our faith. Amen? We need one another. We need to grow with one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to hold one another accountable. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be held accountable. You see, that's... The great part of being, a great part of being a Christian. That I have someone lovingly come aside me and say, hey, brother, rest this way. I shared this illustration with the Wednesday night group, and I want you to hear me. When I first got saved, I had my own issues. We all have issues. But there were certain things that I couldn't kick and I was struggling with. And God rest his soul, beautiful man by the name of Jerry Murray, and Thurman Blackwell, he's still around, but he, these two men held me accountable. And I never will forget, they would ask me, how you doing, Chad? How you doing? Well, I failed again. Failed again. And one day, Jerry, going down a hallway between our maintenance shop and machine shop, pressed me up against a hallway. He said, how serious are you about your faith? He said, do you understand that not only are you hurting God, but you hurting those that are around you who witness you? I'm going to tell you something. That infuriated me. Can't believe this man would hold me accountable. And I still remember it today. Today because it made an impact on my life that somebody cared enough about my soul and the soul of others to tell me what was right and wrong. You see, understand this. Everything that we are to do, brothers and sisters, is always to bring reconciliation, not condemnation. If you will even look in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, when we're to expel the immoral brothers among us, that when they don't listen, they won't repent. We put them out. It's always we put them out in the hopes that they will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That they understand that we're doing it because they love them and they're hurting the word of God. They're hurting the name of God. But we love you and we want to see you grow in him. And maybe by putting you out through your shame, you'll come to understanding of your sin. See, this is the thing. It's always been about reconciliation. We need accountability. But we are a people that are all wired to have instant gratification, and we don't like for any of us to, anybody to tell us what to do. You think about that. Jesus said, I come not to be served, but to serve, okay? Think about this. Have you ever gone to the grocery store? We like going and picking out our own steak. We love to be served because it makes us feel that we're worthy. And don't hear where I'm not going, but that mentality has also played in our hearts when it comes to being around God's people and even being what we call Christians that we think God owes us something. But the true heart of a servant is how he reacts when he's treated like one. Brothers, we need to spur one another on. Let me tell you something in what we believe, and I want to make this very clear. What is the church? The church is the core that has been saved by the grace of God in faith in Jesus Christ. It is a group of people. See, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. It has two meanings. Number one, the universal body of Christ. That means everybody that professes the name of the Lord, you're my brother. Isn't that great? In a world that we live in, where the world is so divided, it's divided by culture, it's divided by, by, by social standards, it's divided by race, let me tell you something. There is no room for any of that at the foot of the cross. Because regardless of who you are, what your daddy was, where you come from, what color you are, we're born again believers in Jesus Christ. We're family. And it don't matter where you've come from. But I want you to understand, listen, listen. That we must not only hold one another accountable, encourage one another, we're to take care of one another. You see, I want you to understand something about missions. I love the church and I love church missions. But if the church can't take care of itself, then how are we going to evangelize the lost world? I want you to understand this too it's not about what I have, it's not about filling people in these pews or in these chairs. So we can have more people. We can have a higher income. We can have money come in. Let me tell you something. If I stand up here and I have no need, and I brag about what God's given me, and we have people out there that have need, it's time to remove Chad. We have got to understand that we must take care of our own. That's what the church does. But we've got to know. And when it comes to holding one another accountable and ministering to the needs of one another, we're to do it joyfully, because you my brothers and sisters. And I want to see you grow in Christ. The Bible tells us in Acts that everybody came together daily. Woo, if you did that church, that'd change things, wouldn't it? Look, we didn't even got to that part yet, but listen. And no one had need. You ever read that? Because they took care of one another. What a beautiful illustration of what it's supposed to be. Guys, we take care of our family. If we can't handle our home, then we can't handle the outside world. I tell people this, that I took from David Jeremiah, and it's it's my life. Number one, I'm a Christian, which means everything, and my whole aspect of my being belongs to Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm a husband. That means this side of heaven, my wife is number one. Number three, I'm a father, which means this, this side of heaven, my kids are number two. And number four, I'm a pastor, which means, yes, you're last. Listen to me in what I say. Because if I can't handle one, two, and three, then I can't handle number four. The same principle applies to us. If we can't worship the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind and minister to the saints around us, how can we minister to the world? Amen. And finally, what is the church? How can we grow? Listen. Number three, we got to show up, people. We got to show up. Not forsaking our own assembling together as some in the habit are doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we got to show up. It's amazing the excuses that people use to come to church, not to come to church. The hymn writer Francis Herbogal wrote this. This is funny. He wrote this hymn because how it is that many people will be discouraged from coming to church even by rain. Listen to what it say what she says. Number one, God has blessed the day making no exception for stormy days. Number two, I expect my minister to be there. I'd be surprised if he stayed at home because of the weather. I'll tell you what somebody told me one time, and I'll finish the list. I said, if I didn't go to church every day, would that church keep me? Every time the doors were open, if I wasn't there, unless I was providentially hindered or sick, would the church keep me? You know what they replied to me? Yeah, but you're paid for it. I said, I can promise you this, that I stood on the word of God and was preaching long before a dime ever hit my pocket. Because he alone is worthy. And here's the thing. Church is not what you do. Church is what you are. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to finish the list because it gets better. Because she gave me some great points. Look. Number three. I might lose out on the prayers and the sermon that would have done me great good. The purpose of the church is to meet and glorify our Lord God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. But it also benefits the believer, because through His Word, through His prayer, through His worship, we grow closer to Him and one another. Amen? Number four, for important business, rain doesn't keep me home. The church is, in God's sight, very important. Number five, bad weather will prove how much I love Christ. Whoa, whoa. I have heard all my life listen to me that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian you listen to this real good but if you're a Christian you don't want to be in church This is the part that was bothering me, Joe. I've heard all my life that the hospital is not a sanctuary for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Wrong. And you go with me on this. I want you to understand what I'm going to say this morning to get you some attention. The word "ecclesia" means called out. We're separate. When I was a child, and anybody that's in their 50s or older will remember this, that in Wednesdays in Greer was the only day my grandpa wouldn't work other than Sunday. And he'd always try to get my hair cut before 12 o'clock because everything cut down on, shut down on Wednesdays at 12 because church night was Wednesday nothing was open on Sundays few restaurants here and there y'all remember this and do you remember some of you too young to remember this they wouldn't say certain curse words on TV either on Sundays now listen Chad what does that have to do that don't make you Christian no but listen times have changed okay And what happened, listen to me, is families begin to grow and parents begin to make church an unpriority. Even those that claim to be Christian. You see, when I was a child, I went to Sunday school, church service, training union, and Sunday night and Wednesday night. They that's a lot of church. Well, if you'll read history and acts, the church met daily. Now, go with me. Because we adapted to a culture. Now, this is where I'm going to go with this. And some of you may disagree with me, but I share this with fear and trembling. Please hear me. We became a culture that even on TV, if you'll watch a sitcom, that Daddy is the bumbling idiot Mama's the peacemaker, and the children run the home. And that mentality creeped its way into the church. You see, what happened, we become a group of what we call, this is going to get you, but listen, seeker-friendly. It was a movement that started when I first went into the ministry. That if we don't hear what I'm not saying, these things in herself ain't wrong, but I'm making a point, but I will not apologize for it. We began to bring the world into the church. As long as we had the cool lights in the band, we had Starbucks coffee in the back, with donuts to boot, because we wanted the lost world to come into the church. And what we did is we took the lost world and brought it into the church instead of the church of a body of born-again believers taking the gospel to the outside world, seeing people converted, then bringing them into the fold. That's what we did, and that's what's happened because we brought the culture into the church because we think that if we build it, they will come. Do you realize, like I shared this morning, that if our programs are so good, then why is it that 66% of all 18-year-olds will leave the church when they turn 18? Our programs aren't working. And I'm trying to tell you, listen to me, that everything in our life, instead of, instead of teaching, instead of teaching and being committed to the Word of God, we've adapted to culture to be convenient for them. What takes priority over fellowship with God's people. I can remember when I was a child, you never played sports on the weekends and definitely not on Sunday. And here's the thing. When parents started being complacent in their own homes, it started filtering out and we adapted to it. You know, I never will forget... Then my son Tyler in the little league made the all-stars in football. But the problem was that football games were on Sunday mornings. And I told him, I said, son, I can't put something else above fellowship with Christ. He said, that's okay, Daddy. And I told his coach, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of what y'all are doing. But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. And I'll show up after church is over. I'm not trying to say that I've always got it right. But I will give you this. We wonder why church is the way it is. If we don't live like we love Christ and have a foundation in our home, what do we expect to happen? Because, again, we've decided to bring the culture into here. We call it, again, seeker-friendly. Do you realize there are none that seek God? People don't run to God in their sin, my brothers and sisters. They run from him. There is only one seeker. His name is Jesus Christ. If you want to be friendly, be friendly to him. You see, here's my point. With all of this. If my faith is solid, I hold unswervingly to the rock that I stand on. If I love Christ with all my heart, soul, and mind, I love my neighbor as as myself, which means I want to consider how I can spurn you along, how I can help you, hold you accountable, pray with you, love you, lift you up, care for you. But also, I want to fellowship with you. I want to be here. Because listen to me. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? How can you do the first two if you're not here? We need to be amongst one another. Those that stay home from church because it's rainy frequently miss fair Sundays too. I mustn't take one step in that direction. And number seven, I don't know how many more Sundays God may give me. It would be poor preparation for my first Sunday in heaven to have slotted my last one on earth. What is your priority? Living Way Community Church, I love you. And again, I'm not saying anything's happening. I love how that goes. Call it preventative maintenance, if you will. But let us never get off our focus of who Christ is. And never get off focus who we are in Christ. You see, I want to give you the other side of this coin. I promise that I'm finishing up. I told you it was a two baller, but I hadn't made it the second one. But I want you to understand going to church don't make you a Christian either. The great Keith Green said this, going to church don't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. I put something on face gossip that I took down because somebody asked me, what a Pharisee, well, that's another, anyway, it not matter. Adrian Rogers said this, man's been dead for years and still making an impact. He said this, Do you know what a church of Pharisees looks like? Number one, they attend every Sunday. Number two, they give every week. Number three, they work in the church. And number four, they all go to hell together. What does that mean? You see, the Pharisees were this group of unrighteous, self-righteous people. Who live by the labor of the law, but yet would twist it in their hearts. See, we would call that religious self righteous. And see, they are those that come because the church or go to different churches, maybe to have that emotional feel, maybe to check that box to say that you went. And see, here's the thing. Checking the boxes don't make you righteous. Your works will not get you into heaven. The Bible says, for it is by grace we are saved. Familiar with this text? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's Ephesians. He will go on further to say this, though. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ. You see the difference? We are God's workmanship created in Christ to do the deeds that we do. Working your way and checking the box and going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But you will go to church and you will serve because you are a Christian. That's the difference. Because it's not going to church, listen, it's not, going, it's not that you don't go to church that condemns you. It's not that you go to church that makes you righteous. What condemns you is your rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Period. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not born again. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are holding to Him with all weight of your being brothers not only will you want to grow in Christ you want to grow with others and you'll want to show up. I meet all kind of people but let me finish this with this I promise. One more swallow. You will not find the perfect church. Because you're there, this perfect is this place is imperfect. You know why? Because I'm here. Now listen to me. I want everybody to hear this. I'm going to missay something. I'll misquote. I'm a human. The band will play a song that you don't like. It may be loud. It may be too fast. The sound team and the slide team will put up a slide inadvertently or might even have a misspelled word. Jimmy will get up here and may forget to announce something. We may not clean the carpet as good as we did last week. And the air conditioning might not work one day. There is no perfect church. Because Us, as the body of Christ, are imperfect people serving a perfect God. We are flawed, which means every aspect of our being has got to be on the rock of Jesus Christ. But we're flawed. We're not always going to get everything right. The body of Christ is a born-again body of believers who will again hold to the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ Will build one another up and want to be here to build one another up. You see, the thing about it is this. It's not what your building size is. It makes you a church. It irks me to hear people brag about their budget. It's not about how many things that you do in the community. It's not about how many people you have in attendance. It's not about how much money people give. It's not about whether your rock band outplays their rock band or whatever people may think. It's not whether that preacher is a little bit different than this preacher. I've said this many times, regardless of whether it's me Whether it's Justin, whether it's Joe, whether it's David, whether it's Tim, if somebody is speaking the Word of God correctly, we're to follow the Word of God correctly. We don't follow people. We follow Jesus. And it's not about what everybody has that makes them a church We're all flawed people. But one day, praise be to God, we will stand before the unflawed one as redeemed, changed people. I believe that, folks. I believe that. And I want you to know that too. I want people to know that they are loved and they are welcomed. I want people to know that we love Jesus Christ with all our hearts, souls, and mind. I guarantee you, we may not have the greatest playground in the world, but we have people that love Jesus Christ. I'm not going on a tangent, but I will just for a second. Listen to me. My, my, I shared this this morning. My wife was teaching Sunday school this morning in the curriculum that they use all our, thank you, all our our children's teachers that are in here, they're not back there today, they use this curriculum. And she said, I am so thankful that our Bible studies that we have now for our children's church are just not simply Noah and the ark. They go deeper. Praise God that we must teach them when they're young. Seth and Beverly and Tim may not have every video game that's upstairs. We don't. But they love the Lord and will teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our small groups, they may have one, they may have four, they may have, I don't know, twelve, I don't know. But the purpose is to teach the Word of God. If you're going places looking for a thrill... Remember this, many people play church like they play checkers. They go spot to spot trying to become king. There's no special about us. But there is something special that we are children of the living God. And I want you to always understand that there is a place for anybody that comes through those doors that seeks relationship with Jesus Christ but we've got to get in the mentality that we hold to our faith, we build one another up, and we come and have community together. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your your grace and mercy. God, I thank you for all that you've done and everything you reveal through us, Lord. I, 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 some of the terminology we use to describe the church, Lord, is wrong. God, we're a group of imperfect people serving a perfect Christ. I am no more special than anybody. Lord, whether you preach, teach, whether you clean toilets, vacuum floors, teach children, help youth, or paint the side of the walls, it's all done for your glory. God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here today. Lord, I pray that we get in our mindset that church is something that we are, not something that we do. That church... church is not a business where Jesus Christ is president but an organism where Jesus Christ is king God I pray that we focus on our lives and we search ourselves and these pithy little statements that get thrown out that Lord we're a church your church are called out we're to be different that Lord, we're to be a group of people who love you, serve you, love and serve our neighbors, 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 and take it out to the community to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that they may be saved and they become a part of the ecclesia. Lord, that is what you've called us to do. But God, I have a fear and I have a sense that so many times we sit back in our own thoughts and think that people are going to come to us. Lord, you did not tell us anywhere in Scripture to say wait and share when they come. You said to go. And God, I pray today that everybody has the burning in their heart to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ that God, regardless of who's here, whatever their past is, we are here to love them, build them up in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're all flawed people. We all have skeletons in our closet. We all have baggage. We've all turned left and we should have turned right. But God, we serve you who is perfect in all aspects of all being. And I need brothers and sisters to help hold me up and hold me accountable. We all need each other. I need those to pray with me before the service. I need those to pray with me for me daily. I need the the, the fellowship of born-again believers who, who say, man, I'm praying for you. I got you. I'll walk with you. And I also, Lord, you know this with all my heart, I also need that brother to come along and say, Chad, you've got to give it one more round. Get up! We all need that nudge. God, we're family. And we're made up of different groups and races and nationalities. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may we grow. May we learn. And may we press on to the end. And it's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us.